This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Tomorrow is opening day. This morning, then I have a great hunt. Deer didn't move like usual. We just got set up in the middle of this bedding thicket. Oh, saving this spot from the rut. It's a nice, I think it's a nice buck. It's a 170. That was money. I think he's down right over there. 10 yards. Woo! Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Bringing you back to the hunt and leaving a legacy. Baller rut. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. We hope you guys had a great uh, Christmas. Um, got to spend some time with your family and friends. Um, but this will be releasing on Christmas. On right? Christmas, I know. So it's pretty epic. I don't think we're gonna get a lot of listeners on <laughs> I was Christmas. Say, it's like the worst day so, of the year. <laughs> so I, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking Thursday. They're listening Thursday, you know. Yeah. And uh, that's why I, you know, wishing them hope they had a good Christmas. First time this year, prime rib day will be on Thursday. Yeah, I know. We'll move it. Yeah, we'll move it. But yeah, we've <laughs> released on Wednesday every episode for the last two years and we just don't, we're not going to change it. Wednesday at 11 is when prime rib comes out. So, um, but we hope you had a good Christmas. Um, this week we got Brian Rogers on, um, breaking down some public land tactics. Um, this guy absolutely had an incredible year on public. Um, it's been hunting public for uh, decades so it's pretty cool that he's out there getting it done on deer consistently and some really big deer also um does whatever it takes to get done a lot of good tactics in here um moving when you need to um really thinking about access with the wind i mean just too many to list but uh let's get into the people that make this possible and uh get into the show um you got the vip veteran broadhead shout out yeah uh this week's shout out is bryce williams he was in the air force for eight years and uh he said he just wants to be remembered as a guy who does duty 
So I was like, man, just another solid guy out there. So we appreciate your service, man, and uh, sacrificing them eight years. I was just thinking, like, eight. I've like I've been able to legally drink for eight years. Like that's a long time. Yeah, it feels like a long time. It's a it's a chunk of life. Yeah, it is. So so. we we appreciate that. Yeah, we appreciate, man. Um, Hopefully, you get to spend some time with your family. A big shout out to all the military people that are listening to this that can't hang out with your family. Um, Yeah. Um, we appreciate you guys. If there's anyone out there listening, we know this has got to be a rough time for you guys, but um, just a heartfelt um, thank you from the Whitetail Legacy guys and the VIP brand and family. A um, little bit about VIP Veteran Broadhead. We're going to be at ATA releasing the Combat Veteran. Um, come by, check us out. We'll, we, do you have a booth number yet? Or? I don't. Okay, well, we'll we'll get a booth number, and uh, if there's anybody out there that wants to come by and, and chit-chat and meet us, um Feel, feel more than welcome to come by and say hi. We like to listen or reach out to our listeners and talk to them. Um, it's crazy when you go to an event like that and people actually do come up. You're like, yeah. whoa. We talked to a lot of people last year yeah. right out in front of the VIP booth. So Yeah, a lot of people come up and talk to us. So we were like, wow, you know. So it's cool that our little podunk show can reach out there and, and listen to people and make you know get us some friends, people that we talked to before that we felt like we already met yeah. and got to actually meet there. So um, let's get into... Uh, Embry Custom Woodworkings, um, out out and Gander Outdoors. Um, he was just on the radio station. Yeah, he was. Did you listen to that? I the, tried, yeah. um, but my wife's grandma says she heard it. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I, he gave us a solid shout out. So shout out to Jeff on that. Um, gonna be able to pick up his double sided and triple sided turkey calls in Gander Outdoors. So that's huge for him. Um, he did get approved for the outdoor 3D range. Nice. So that's coming. So I'm excited about that. Big things going for him. Um, he deserves it, man. Twenty-two years in the Navy—that's that's a that's a lifetime. I bet it felt like oh, him. You yeah. know what I mean? And then his son going right into um, like surveillance. Like I can't even—I don't even know what the word is. But he's in like terrorist surveillance. I mean, mm-hmm. going from your dad doing it for twenty-two years and you just signing up right away. That whole entire family. Shout out to them because the, they're doing a lot for all of us. Um, Ing- Ingram's. Outdoor Obsession. I asked him, man. He said, not a lot of bucks coming in. It's been short on the, the bucks. I would say, yeah. We, but we're we, through muzzleloader. You I know. know. We've, we've been talking to a lot of people, and I don't know anybody that shot one with a muzzleloader. I don't know anyone that's put one down late season. Matt. And I, oh, yeah, yeah, Matt. Yeah, yeah, Matt did, yeah. That's the only person I know. Yeah. But, yeah, Matt from Last Breath shot a, a great buck they called Fade. Uh, they just released episodes. and check it out there. But, um, yeah, there's not a lot of guys that are – killing deer man and i'm talking to a lot of people that are still trying you know mm-hmm. and we're still trying yeah. <laughs> but it just ain't happening um what else we got Scentlock. Scentlock. Uh, all your ozone and hunting clothing needs all right let's get into the show all right we got brian rogers on appreciate coming on and giving us some uh knowledge of public land because we need it and we struggled last year what's up guys how's it going much just out here in the studio um Good to be podcasting again. Feels like it's been a while. Yeah, right. Christmas season's just so insanely busy for us. Um, try to get out in the woods if we can, but it's cool just to be doing something hunting for a change and <laughs> talking hunting. Yeah, I agree, man. Once uh, after about second shotgun, man, it always becomes almost impossible for me to do anything between uh, making up work and uh, putting in more time with the family and all that stuff. It almost seems like my uh, my season ends on the the last day of shotgun season so 
Yeah, I think that's kind of how we are too. We've been hunting, but it's not near as much as we were yeah. before. You know, just like every weekend, you got a Christmas party, wife's work Christmas party, kids Christmas party. You're like, man, just eighty-two Christmas parties I gotta go to. But well, I uh, agree, man. And I get a muzzleloader tag every year, and I, I'm lucky to get out, you know, a morning or an afternoon at all. So yeah. I'm saying, and then the days are, you know, four forty-five. If it's cloudy, it's dark. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's getting dark early, so. All right, well, give the listeners a brief introduction of who you are and what you do. All right, well, uh, like you said, I'm my name's Brian Rogers. Uh, I uh, I grew up here in the middle uh, in the uh, Midwest here in Springfield. I uh, I actually work at a uh, a lamb or a uh, Chrysler Jeep dealership is what I do for work. I uh, I I farmed for a long time before I did that. Uh, but then, uh, when my, my daughter was coming along, I had to find something where I could, uh, you know, have a little bit more time and energy with her and, and, and try to make a little bit more money. So, um, uh, I, uh, I grew up hunting public pretty much my whole life. Um, and from the time I was like five or six chasing squirrels and rabbits and then, uh, you know, I actually started deer hunting by shotgunning on private uh, when I was like 12. But uh, ever since I've started bow hunting at about 15, it's been on um, public. So my first bow kill was on public. My first buck bow kill was on public. And uh, it's funny because back back when I started, I thought, you know, uh, my my dream was to have, you know, the vast acreage and the guys that had, you know, could go put in the food plots and could go do all that. But, um, over the years, I, I've come to just truly, truly love the public land, um, you know, bow hunting, deer hunting experience. Um, uh, just because it, purely because you start to get hooked on the challenge, uh, you get hooked on that feeling of, you know, not only did I beat the deer, but I beat, you know, a hundred thousand other guys that could have got in here and, and shot this deer but didn't you know what i'm saying oh yeah so to me it's almost like i wear public land like a badge of honor you know what i'm saying as opposed to um when i was a kid i kind of looked at it like i was you know uh hunting the second best you know option now i look at it as man i wouldn't do anything else but not public you know if you gave me the option to go hunt 40 acres of private or you know you know you know a decent track to public i'm on the public all day long so yeah i feel like i felt like the same way i started on public and uh i always felt like you know the guys that had the private they were killing more deer i was also new to hunting but uh it just seems like the past few years that public is they've made a transition where the public's cool and the privates you know not not as cool but back in the day i'm sure you remember where if you were hunting private or public people were like why are you doing that you know what i mean they just yeah. thought it was just dumb to go out there and try and i'm like i'm doing it because i literally don't have another option to hunt you know what i mean i'm just trying to find a place to go and yeah uh, and, and I, it's it's crazy man because like now all of a sudden i feel like we're doing the cool thing you know and it used to be like we were you know we were kind of like the odd man out. Yeah, and, exactly. That's why I told homie, like when I first started, it was, everybody was like, you hunt public? That's ridiculous. You know what <laughs> I mean? And around well, here, the quality of deer, I mean, it is kind of ridiculous if, but, uh, 
but well, now it's a cool other, thing. The other weird thing with the, the way that the industry has kind of shifted is like when I started and I was, you know, I was hunting with climbers back when I was, you know, long ago, back before, you know, hang and bang was, you know, cool and all that shit. But I, uh, now it kind of feels a little bit like somebody lifted, uh, lifted up your girl's skirt or something because now everybody's talking about bedding and this and that. And, uh, you know, I, I knew from an early age when I used to go out and hang and, uh, there was five guys on a field edge that that's not where you wanted to be. If you wanted to kill deer, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is so, very true. Podcasts, so, videos, everything getting out. People are getting more knowledgeable and it's making it hard for the guy that's been doing the same stuff, you know, to kill them when there's other guys getting in there on top of you. Right. And, uh, and, and it, and so my theory, like, so now, now like betting has become more of a topic and, and, you know, I learn and grow from all of the content that's coming out. I wouldn't be the hunter I am if, if the industry hadn't shifted that way. However, um, I was like, my theory was always, uh, go deep, find the thick stuff and hang on and hang on the downwind side of it. And that's kind of still what I go off of. Now I'm a little, you know, now I delve into the bedding just a little bit more because, you know, it's become a, a pretty hot topic of, you know, trying to figure out exactly where they're bedding and what they're doing. But for the most part, I haven't changed what I do as far as just try and outwork the next guy, try and find the spot that's overlooked that, you know, the next guy isn't taking advantage of and just try and sit there um, at peak times and, uh, you know, it seemed to work out for me so far, but yeah, it's just weird now with, uh, you know, you got guys like Dan Infall, you got the hunting public, uh, and now you've got 50 other, you know, public land, um, channels and, and things popping up all the time. seems like everything's public now. So, uh, it's driving more people to the public and it's also showing them a lot. It, it's taking the learning curve away from hunting public a little bit more. So, um, you're seeing a lot more success, which is a good thing, but again, it's, you know, it's making it a little bit tougher, which is why we like public, but, uh, it, it just is what it is, I guess, in that aspect. Yeah, I agree with you. It seems like when the industry started, you know, it's the juries, you know, and, you know, Lee and Tiffany and guys like that, that were like, that's what it was, you know, it was the big farms, private ground, and now they've kind of faded out. And I can see why, you know, the the guys like Dan Infault and stuff are doing so good. They're, they have incredible knowledge and they're way more relatable to like a guy like you that wants to do it on public. Um, not knocking juries at all. Their film is some of the best film I've ever seen, but I would rather watch, you know, some guy like me get it done than watch them get it done. That's just how I am. Um, yeah. And I think it, I think it kind of ruffles some feathers. Um, uh, when I'll tell somebody like, I'd rather, I'd, you know, I find way more satisfaction in shooting 120 inch deer on public than if I was to shoot 160, 170 inch deer on private. And that that doesn't mean that I want to take away from what they've done on private because it's still a hell of an accomplishment to outsmart an old buck, you know? Uh, However, on to me, when a deer gets to be even two, but especially just three years old on public, um, they've just, had so many more encounters with people and they've learned people so much better that to me it's it's more of much more of a challenge 
to kill a three-year-old on public than it is to kill a five or six-year-old on, uh, you know, on low pressure, large tracks of private ground. Now, not all pieces, not all pieces of private are made equal. You know, we all know that. I mean, I've got pieces of private that, that just suck that I just choose not to hunt anymore, you know, uh, because there's just too much pressure from, you know, the landowner letting people in or the neighbors are pressuring them, uh, too hard or, you know, there's a host of different reasons, but if you got, you know, two, 300 acres plus, and you can put in really nice food plots and stuff, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying I would ever turn down a chance to hunt those. I just prefer the challenge and I feel a whole lot more accomplished shooting, you know, a three-year-old on public, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. One thing that, you know, with my first year hunting public, um, one thing I really noticed is like the deer behavior with putting up or tolerating a hunter. Um, we, we just put out that blog and, you know, I feel like them deer know that hunters are going to be in the tree and, you know, any slight movement, you know, they're gone. But just like on our private piece, which it, it hasn't been hunted the previous five years since we were on there last year, and um, like you know, the deer will just look up at you, but they'll they'll tolerate you up there moving, whether you're standing up, grabbing your bow, getting the camera around, you know, whatever you're doing, they just kind of you know tolerate you, and then they just kind of go about their way. But man, you move on public, the slightest bit, gone. You move um, your ground scent. I think that there's a lot less, uh, you know, they, they don't put up with near as much ground scent. Uh, when you're hanging cameras, they put up with a whole lot um, less, uh, you know, intrusion into bedding, uh, ground scent into bedding. Uh, that's why I utilize um, rain. I, I don't check my cameras unless I'm hunting, and I try to hang my cameras close to my where I'm going to be hunting. Um you just don't do it. There's things you learn over the years that, you know, do you want to, do you want to just see bucks or do you want to kill bucks? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, uh, you know, like if I go in and, uh, if I hang a camera in a bedding area, it's months before season starts and I use it basically as a way to, uh, obviously monitor. I want to see bucks year to year. I mean, it's fun to see the bucks, you know, and to know that they're in there and stuff like that. But I really want to see uh, time of year, time of day. And is anybody in there? Uh, you know, how often is anybody else, if ever, in there? Um, you know what I mean? So those are the things I'm really monitoring with my cameras. I'm not, I got out of the mindset a long time ago of, of going in to check a camera, finding out if something's on it, and then going in there and hunting it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, because... we do the same thing. If um, we ran cameras on public and we didn't check that one for like two and a half months, yeah. In the bottom, um, literally the last day we were going to hunt it, we went and pulled it, and it was an epic, epic. Yeah, pull. we pulled it uh, the last Sunday before season started, and then we pulled it uh, like the 14th of November. Yeah. So, um, and basically yeah. what we were trying to figure out is we knew the bucks were on this side. When did they transition? to the other side and now we know and i was just you know homie just bought another mobile exodus render and we were trying we were talking about like where are we even going to put it because we don't like we're going to we're going to hit the public hard next year because we got it figured out we found some actual absolutely giant bucks um but we don't think we need that many cams out there because we know they're there yeah. we know what they're doing in the rut and that's when we're going to strike um 
I feel like well, if you're trying to kill them early on public, you need to run the cams. Um, but during the rut, just like you said, go to those consistently good spots. As long as you've ran that cam and you've not, you've like on one one piece of public we had, not literally a single picture of a person, didn't see a person, nothing. Yeah, and that gives you a lot of confidence in your spot to sit there all day. That's that's one of my biggest things with cameras is is I will find a bedding area, I will surround it with cameras for from entrance routes and, and you know for deer and for people. And when I check it and I don't see anybody has been through there, you know, the, the, the entire season, I'm amped up to sit there all day, you know, as long as it takes. Cause I, I just know there hasn't been anybody in there bumping them. Yeah. It's definitely a, you know, like you said, it helps keep you in the stand. Uh, one thing I want to go back on is you had said, you know, the deer don't put up with that much ground scent. And I will say one thing that Cody and I, um, had flawed on public this year is we didn't have like a direct path to the stand each time. Um, it's just kind of overgrown pasture with, you know, big shrub bushes everywhere. So mm-hmm. we'd come, we'd come up, we'd get over to the other side and then, um, it, we'd literally be zigzagging and be like, it's like okay, a maze. Yeah. we got to check the hunt stand every time yeah, to get to our stand. Cause yep. it's just like, uh, <laughs> it's so thick and it's like tall grass to your chest and, and, um, oh. you know, it's literally a different way to the stand every time. So we had a, you know, what I would say 150 inch somewhere in that neighborhood of a buck come and where the way he was coming from is there was no way he wasn't going to cross where we walked and there's no other way to get in there. So, I mean, it was inevitable, but that was, was that, that was the second day mm-hmm. somebody had been back there. So maybe he could have come 15 yards closer or something. Yeah. You know, if we were on the same trail closer to the tree is, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So if you're just constantly hitting that same path, instead of, you know, your, your scent cone being, 20 yards you know it's now 50 yards because you've taken three different trails in there zigzagged yeah trying to figure it out yeah it's a good point well and and i gotta say this man really when you think back at least on 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 most of my public land encounters not all of them but a high percentage of them the big bucks knew something was up before they got shot or got shot at and a lot of that time was ground scent it's not necessarily them catching your scent it, a lot of that time it's, you know, and not, maybe they didn't even cross it. Maybe they just smelled, you know, maybe they were just near where you had walked. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, uh, they, you, you can just, you can just instantly tell something changes in their behavior, at least in my opinion. And, uh, they just start, they start getting just a little bit buggery. So, um, I would, th- that's one of the biggest differences I think, uh, besides just, uh, daytime deer movement or buck movement is just how much quicker they get boogery on human scent and ground scent. Um, and, and that being said, I long ago stopped practicing any type of scent control. Um, I used to be a scent control freak, and uh, I think I focused so much on getting rid of human scent uh, that it, it almost became a hindrance to my hunting because I was more worried about human scent than I was any other aspect of the hunting. So I've actually totally went, you know, 180 on that and just basically don't even care about scent other than my entrance route um, and my scent on stand as far as the wind. That's my two biggest things. Other than that, I don't practice a single bit of scent control. And I joke all the time about, uh, um, you know, how I laugh about how I used to spray myself down with water 
from these magic sprays back, uh, you know, back <laughs> in the day when I was about to go into freezing cold temps for 12, you know, all, all day sets. And here I am spraying myself down with, uh, with water. So, uh, it, it's just kind of funny how ever since I made that mental shift, that kind of paradigm shift in my head of focusing more on, uh, the hunting than the scent control. Um, I feel like my hunting went through the roof as far as big buck sightings and, and shots on, on stand. So, do you ever still uh, hunt a, a questionable win, or are you always hunting wins that you know are guaranteed to not get busted? So I will do everything I can to make sure that I'm hunting a good wind. I, I've gotten away from hunting bottoms in the evening um, just because you just cannot – count on that wind not swirling down there yeah it's impossible yeah yeah i i really just don't do it like maybe maybe if there was some crazy situation but i i just have had so many times where it's magic hour you know it's it's that last hour half hour and all of a sudden you're getting snorted at you're getting blown at and it's just to me it's just not worth it it's too high risk and since i'm always hunting bedding areas that you know i've got lots of bedding areas that i just jump around to um to me it's just not worth it but so i tend to try to hunt um a lot of ridges where the wind is blowing over and down into you know into a bottom that i don't plan on the deer movement happening on if that makes sense uh but i'm definitely not hunting trails and stuff that i'm not going down into a bottom in the evening and hunting trails that are running through there unless the only i guess the only um instance i can think of where i would is if I'm on more of like a big open field or right on the mouth of a valley where it's feeding out into an open like grass field or something like that, uh, that might be the only instance where I would hunt, you know, low like that. But typically I'm hunting like sides of sides of hills, sides of bedding, something like that. Something where I feel like the wind's still going to carry a little bit or I've got some obstacle where the wind's, you know, uh, going to carry over. So. I think that's what some, we do sometimes. Like we do the sink control, and I feel like we press our wind a little bit. So I feel like if we didn't do any sink control at all in our brains, we would naturally revert back to like cannot not, not cannot risking. do that. You know what yeah. I mean? But I feel like and and we we still get the only thing that I think really is eliminated is we don't get blown at. Mm. We have deer. Like we don't have anything just blow out of there, you know. They see they they, you can see that they're alerted, but it's not like when I used to hunt with no sick control and it's automatically like gone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. I could I could see if you went to no sick control at all, you would I would be way more, I would think way more about like okay, I have no chance at all to even beat these deer one percent, so I got to yeah. be on the money with the wind, so. Yeah. And that's, and that's, I focus far more on wind and actually even more than wind. I mean, wind matters, but wind on stand is pretty easy to figure out. You know what I'm saying? But your entrance is even more important. And like when you're, when you're hanging and hunting, you know, you're carrying your stand in there, like taking your time as you're going and really peeping out the trees in front of you and trying to figure it out before you go too far. And then have to backtrack, I think is is crucial too, because like 
a lot of the times you get to a tree and then you're like, shit, I got to go back that way. Well, now you've boogered up 20, 40 yards up the way that you plan on deer walking. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, so I think that taking your time and stand selection too uh, relates to scent control in a weird way because you just, you don't want to just push in and then all of a sudden if you're, you're backing up, I think you're doing yourself a big, you know, injustice there. Yeah, I could see that. You you know, once you get to that point, like we were this year, we had a tree picked out. We were going to go to it and <laughs> yeah. it ended up being in a pond. Like there was literally no water. It was dry. Um, and we went back there a month later and it's in three foot of water. And uh, it was, we did rush, you know what I mean? And I could see like if you're rushing to get, because when you get to that point, you're like, I got to get in a tree. I got to get in a tree, you know? So I could see the scent control and the your ground scent and direction of wind completely going out of your mind and all you're thinking about is i gotta get up in a tree to kill something so uh i I will say that um like we were talking about you know the drurys and lee and tiffany and and we grew up you know i'm sure you did too i grew up watching them and i did learn some some valuable stuff from them and one thing that always rings in my head when i get um close um you know within the red zone of where i'm gonna set up is uh i remember lee always saying uh uh, that, that he believed that most people, uh, busted or ruined their hunt the la- and busted deer out of there the last 80 to a hundred yards to their stand. And I, that always repeats in my head. And when I get close to that tree, I, I, you know, I have to mentally stop, slow down and, and I start almost still hunting to my tree as opposed to walking. I don't, you know, it, it doesn't matter if it's in the middle of the dark, you know, in the, in the morning, or if it's, uh, you know, if I'm going out for an afternoon sit uh when i get close i start to slow down and really try to think things through every step um i don't you know obviously when you're walking in there a lot of the time you can just walk heavy but when you get close to your stand that last 80 yards you know that's that's what matters right there so at least in my mind that's that's kind of my mental thought on it yeah that's a good tip and definitely something you know keep in the front of your brain when yeah i was thinking about when we went and pulled that trail camera the d- deeper one mm-hmm. on that the west side of that one public where there's no people yeah we went in there like ninjas you know because we were trying to decide whether we're hunting there or hunting back and once we pulled that show camera and we decided that we were hunting back we automatically were like okay we got to go and we went back and we busted those does but we were able to walk all the way in there and they didn't bust yep but since we were in a hurry to get out of there they automatically bust so yeah. if we would have did exactly like like okay I'm going to go slow. I'm still 80, 100 yards from where I'm hunting. If we would have just snuck out of those, those does probably never would have came. Buck could have come, bumped them. You know, it could have been a completely different story. But we bumped those deer by automatically thinking, okay, I need to make it 80 yards back this way to hunt. So that's a good yeah. tip, man. I need to I need to do that more often. Just slow down. And I just I always revert back to two. Is so I cut my teeth on squirrel hunting, like I'm sure a lot of you guys did, but. Uh, if, you, if you're not walking slow enough to see squirrels, you know, going up and down trees right by you, not knowing you're there, then you're, you're going too fast for a deer. So, uh, that's, that's kind of my thinking is if I'm not seeing, you know, and obviously you're not always going to see squirrels everywhere you're hunting, but what I'm saying is, is in your mind, if you're not walking slow enough to sneak up on a squirrel, you're definitely not walking slow enough to sneak up on a bedded deer. I, I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into um, kind of the reason why we wanted to have you on is, I mean, you had one hell of a year. Um, 
probably, I mean, I'd, I'd take that every year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's kind of, did your, was your first encounter, um, with a buck in range, was that in November or was it earlier in the year? Yeah. So I, I kind of wanted to go into this too. So if you'd have talked to me at the end of October, as opposed to the end of November, you'd have been talking to two totally different hunters. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of October, I felt pretty defeated. Um, I hadn't seen a single deer on stand bigger than a spike or a forky. I can't remember, but it was just the October from hell for me. I mean, I, I love, I still love hunting. It doesn't, doesn't matter if I see big bucks or not, but as far as, uh, you know, as far as seeing big buck movement, it was, it was absolutely zero. It was a big goose egg. So that's about like ours. We were like, where are these, do they even exist out here? <laughs> right, man, man. And I mean, I was catching them <laughs> like when I would go to a stand and I would check a camera, I would, I would have deer in there. And it was just like, either I was always making the wrong decision or, and also the other thing that was crazy is it felt like, um, every cold front would hit just after or just before my days off. So there was like, what, four or five giant cold fronts in October. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, I really didn't get to hunt any of them effectively. So I'm sitting there just banging my head against the wall at work going, come on, man. Like, you know, give me a break here. It's probably fire out there. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I always think when it's cold and I'm at work, I'm like, dude, it's probably just banging out there. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know how it is. It's, the grass is always greener on the other side. Uh, but so, uh, I think a lot of what contributed also though was was the uh the standing corn. I mean obviously that was that was kind of plaguing everybody whether you're on private on public. I mean there was there was corn standing I mean I think into late November so in some places so Yeah, they were picking um, around our private piece uh the actually first shotgun season and that whole weekend so and then they finished up the week of Thanksgiving so we had kind of went in with the wet spring we had. We had kind of went in kind of, you know, mentally prepared for that to be the scenario. And, of course, that's what it was. Yeah, and I think another big piece of it with that is, and I tell myself this every year, and I'm really bad about it. But so most people that I've known that have had success, at least on the public pieces that I hunt, um, early season, are actually hunting on field edges um, because the deer aren't pressured yet. They're still on feeding patterns and stuff like that. Um, and even myself back in the day when I would hunt field edges a lot more than I do now, I, I used to have really good encounters. I've shot some really good bucks on field edges. Um, but it seems like as I go on in my hunting and uh, I'm, you know, I'm pushing farther and this and that, it's harder for me to flip my mindset to go and sit on those field edges when realistically they're not bedding that far from those field edges early season and they're making it there during daylight. And I think that is a something I tell myself every year I'm going to try and work on as a, uh, as a hunter. And, and this year with the standing corn, I think it amplified it. Uh, you know, even worse, I think I was pushing still back into those bedding areas farther than I should have too early thinking like, oh, you know, I got a good cold front. I got to get back into the, you know, into the good bedding. And uh, even if I missed him, you know, if I was on the tail end of it or something, I was trying to get in there and and make it happen. And uh, it just, I think that was a huge part of it was 
um, a lot of the guys I knew that were seeing deer, you know, were around that standing corn or wherever it had been picked or whatever. So, so well, uh, so your October was garbage. And then, um, did you take a vacation in November? I did. So, um, every year I find like if, if, if I had to pick just three days to hunt every year, it would be about the ninth through the 11th. And so I, I got, I think seven days or something like that. So usually since I know that the first couple of does start to come into estrus, uh, or at least start giving off the pheromones, you know, uh, around the fifth or the sixth, I like to start it then. And then I figure usually the ninth through the 11th is almost a guarantee. There's going to be big deer up and on their feet. So, I took, I think, the 5th through, like, the 13th off. That's a pretty good stomp. That's, when When was our best day this year? Was it the 10th? Well, I mean, the 3rd and the 4th was, as far as what Cam showed. No, I uh, meant the day we were out there on public. The uh, day you hunted. Was oh, that the 10th? Yeah, the 10th. Yeah. The 10th was our best day for Rudd Act. Did we see five shooters that day? Yeah. Yeah, so... And all, all with does. All with does, yeah. So I shot my big buck on the tenth with my bow. So did you? Yeah. That's a, I've always told homie what I always say the seventh through the ninth is yeah. what I always like to say. Uh, those are my day, and I think we're gonna do the third through the. Yeah, we're gonna do that first full. No, well, we do that first full week. I think it'd be in the late October, so maybe that following. Well, it depends week. on what goose season is. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to go off of that, but, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna plan on hunting that the pre-rut a little more than the actual you know when the does really start coming in um we feel like we missed a lot of opportunities by what the camera showed us um so we were kind sure. of thinking the same thing you know hold off save that vacation and then it roll us right into shotgun season we'll have that off you know and uh the, the only thing where i i wish that i had more i wish i had two weeks instead of one because i'd split it up because like the 180 was on the 19th and like another buddy of mine who's killed, you know, three or four deer over 150. I think he posted something where he said, uh, you know, uh, all of my deer over 150 have been killed from like the 14th through the 21st or something crazy like that. So, hmm. um, even though I know you can kill them before that, which obviously I did and stuff like that, but, uh, sometimes I think that waning rut, is, is a lot better chance to kill like a true, you know, like giant just because those, those big bucks, well, as has been, you know, chronicled in other people's uh, articles and, and, and talking and stuff like that, those big bucks, they know their does, they know their areas. And even though the bucks get quote unquote stupid during the rut, them big boys didn't get to five and six by just, you know, being, being that stupid. So uh, I think that as the, as the does start to, to wane off that are in heat and then they have to go into a little bit more unfamiliar territory. That's when you capitalize when those big boys are out there looking for them, them last does. So I wish I had the, the amount of time to take off where I could, uh, where I could capitalize on that movement. Cause I think, I personally think I'd kill a lot more, you know, book bucks or at least have chances at them. If I was able to take more time off later in the rut, as opposed to just the time I take off early, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I could see that. We've we've seen that a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Giants killed on the seventeenth. I've had um, the weekend of Thanksgiving. I've seen giants. Um, 
those that late November, it's not it's nothing to sleep on for sure. I mean, they're out there. I feel like you're not going to see as much action. Sometimes I say like you're not going to see a lot of deer, but if you do see a deer, it's going to be the right deer, you know. And I feel like that's that time frame. You're not going to see as many, you know, you're not going to see five shooters in a day. I don't feel like, but if you if you're sitting there, it's going to be a big deer if it's up and moving. Is what I feel. Yeah, and that's why it's almost sometimes it's almost hard to to miss that time when you know like you're going to have every buck on their feet chasing that doe. But it, I I personally think that if I could ever switch my mindset over to hunting that waning rut over the over the early rut, I think I'd kill bigger deer. Just just my personal opinion. But it's so hard to to miss out on the days where you know that you know you got a great i mean you got a 90 percent chance of seeing 150 inch deer walking around yeah i know the first year you did that and it didn't go through you'd be like damn it i'm so dumb <laughs> i mean that's why we were at work that full week i was like man we should be out there it's on fire it's on fire yeah, and everybody then, was saying it was yeah fire. everybody was saying it's, it's incredible and then here we go we were at work like this is dumb and then we we, we had all right but man we had some slow hunts too it was yeah. like I, I really, what I, I learned this year was it seems like out there you do get a little bit of cruising action, but if you have a hot doe in your area, you literally, we, we have like, we seen like every buck we have on cam. You know what I mean? It was insane. But if, if you don't, you might catch a cruiser and that's about it midday. But, um, we just, if, if you have a hot doe, it's just like on private, it's no different than public. You know, if you have a hot doe in your area, it's going to be a great day. And, uh, let me tell you about November set. Well, actually you want me to just tell you about the whole, yeah, go ahead and break down your, your whole rut rut (laughs) season here. All right. So, um, the, uh, the first day that I had off was actually an afternoon was when I went out and I had a lot of animal action, but I didn't have the buck action that I was after. It was still kind of warm or whatever. Uh, but then that next morning I went into this little area that was, I actually, I actually hung 40 yards off of a, of a main horse trail. And when I was, when I was dragging a, a one, the, I, I shot this 120 a couple years back in October. And when we were down at the bottom of the, when we were on this horse trail and me and uh, me and a buddy went to go get, uh, or went to go look at the trail that we was going to walk. And my cousin stayed back with, the, with the buck. And he said a giant and a doe came right down to the horse trail and we're just standing there and then decided to go back up after we had walked by making a bunch of noise. So it got me thinking like, you know, because this is such a little narrow corridor because there's a Creek on one side and there's a horse trail on the other, I got to thinking like, man, then, you know, it, it can't be that pressured. There's not any timber over here in this little grass field really. And I thought what, what they do is they wait till people go by on horses or hunters go by and they listen and then they, and then they utilize it. You know what I mean? So my thinking too was with it being uh november 6th and a good chance that the first does were coming were were you know going to give off their their pheromones but not quite be ready was with that tall grass and it being not as quite a pressure that it'd be a good spot for a doe to go and hide if a buck was chasing it right if if some bucks were after it but it wasn't quite ready i figured well this would be a good spot for it to come get away from them so that was my thinking and plus i had hunted kind of in the area before and knew that there was good deer that run around in there. So, um, I go in there and totally didn't have a tree picked out or anything, just kind of had an area that I, 
that I knew I wanted to hunt and go in there, hang up in this cottonwood real low to the ground. I mean, I was probably, cause it was actually in a ditch. The, the tree grew up out of a ditch. So like what I was actually above off of the ground was probably, I would say like 10 feet or something like that. So really wasn't that high, but there was cover uh, kind of behind me and stuff with the tree. So I felt like, well, at least my silhouettes broke up pretty good. So, um, anyway, I'm sitting there and, uh, just kind of, uh, had done my interview and was just sitting there. Maybe I was looking at my phone or something. All of a sudden I hear grunting up in front of me on this ridge and, uh, I look up and, uh, sure enough, there's this buck grunting and he, he was big and I, I knew he was, but I thought he was just going to keep heading along that ridge and I hadn't seen the doe yet. And, uh, I didn't know if I should grunt, but I was like, well, if he's, if he's grunting at something, you know, I'm probably not going to get him off of it. And all of a sudden I look down and the doe shoots by me at 20 yards, right, right in my shooting lane in the grass. And, uh, I hear him grunting and I thought, well, when she shot by, I knew for a fact he was coming, you know? So I come to full draw. I hear him grunting his head. I mean, he's just grunting nonstop. Uh, and I'm wondering where the heck he's at. I'm kind of holding for a second. And then all of a sudden he shows up right there in my shooting lane and I let one fly and my arrow went haywire and I don't know. And I'm sitting there like, what the hell happened? You know? And so he runs off about 50 yards. I, th- I put my 40 yard pin high. I grabbed a second arrow. He, he was probably actually like 55 yards. I put my 40 yard pin high just above his back thinking he was like 50. And when I let it fly, I actually thought it hit him, but it must've went just low. Um, so I must've just barely misjudged that distance. I feel like, but anyway, uh, he ran off and, you know, it's documented on that video, but, uh, so there I am. I haven't seen anything worth even talking about all of October. And now all of a sudden I've got like, like I said, I don't know if he's 150, 160, something like that, but he was just, you know, a jaw dropper. And, and, uh, here I did, I messed up on him. Well, I went to look at the footage and uh my whisker biscuit had actually when the wind was blowing my bow had smacked the arrow down into the whisker biscuit bristles and i didn't realize it on that first shot so i let it fly and uh that that explained why that one went all crazy on me so uh so then i i sat there a few more hours i was uh you know i was pretty low obviously <clears throat> i go back to the truck um for a little bit just to eat some lunch and kind of uh, at that point i was going to switch over because that really wasn't an all-day kind of stand it was more of like a, a morning stand so i was thinking i was going to go somewhere um that was more of like still kind of bedding but like dough bedding that's a little bit closer to food because i figured that bucks would be cruising that, that downwind side of those uh a little bit closer to the food i still don't ever sit right on the food just because i, I like i said it just you're you might see deer but your your chances of somebody walking in on you go i feel like go up by like 90 percent sitting on a field edge you know and uh so anyway the next uh well and actually what's crazy is so that afternoon i go back to the truck and actually i ran into a buddy who i hadn't seen in years who i had actually uh got into hunting into bow hunting out there had showed him the ropes around there and uh come to find out uh when we was heading back he was actually heading back to a spot that i had put him on like seven years prior 
And he'd been <laughs> seeing deer in there. And actually, that's where I was heading to that night. But I said, hey, man, if that's where you're heading, and you know, he had put a stand up in there and stuff. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm all for it because, uh, you know, I like seeing my buddies succeed more than myself. So I, I'd rather, you know, him get in there and shoot something nice. You know, I'd be pretty happy for him. So, but it was just crazy because uh, after all those years, and there he was down in that spot. So, uh, but I was like, well, shit, if you're going to go there, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to the other side. And so actually it pushed me to go to a spot that I'd been planning on hunting later because I had uh, trail cam photos of deer later in the year, uh, usually like post rut. But I thought, you know what? It, it kind of fits the bill, fits the wind. I'm going to go in there. Well, so the crazy part is, is I walk right past the tree I want to hunt and I decided I didn't like it. Go walking all the way, yada, yada, make this big circle. But the leaves were so crunchy. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back and hang in that one spot. So I make this big circle and I was kind of cussing myself for not getting up in there in the first place. And when I come back, there's a big buck standing directly under the tree where I was going to be in <laughs> earlier. Okay. And he bounds away. He, he, he didn't know what I was, but he knew something was up there. And he, so he was cruising that bedding area, just like I thought he would. And if I'd have got up in there, I'd have had a crack at him. Literally walked at the base of the tree I was going to get in. So I kind of just sit up against the tree the rest of the night, just looking out over this valley, seeing if I can maybe pick up some kind of observation on movement or something like that. And because uh, at that point I was like, you know, I, I'd missed a big one. And then I, I had a big one under a tree. I was like, this is this is comical, you know. And so then I go home and I, I and uh, I figured, all right, I'm going to go to a totally different spot. Get, you know, uh, get shake this one off, go to a completely different spot. And, um, so go to this different bedding area and it's like three miles away from where I was hunting at that spot. Okay. This is all the same piece of public, but, uh, this one's way, way far away from that one. And, uh, cause like what I do is I go around and I will just find, uh, I'll scout bedding areas and then hop around them during the rut. Like I said, I'll find the, I'll, I'll find the spot where I want to hunt on the bedding area, like the downwind side. And if it fits the bill, I'll hunt it that day. And, uh, so anyway, I go to that spot, uh, where the previous year I had shot, uh, well, so I had, and it kind of all ties together, but cause the spot I went to, I actually had shot a big buck in the shoulder the previous year. And, uh, I, it's also the first time I picked up pictures that when I shot that buck, was the first time I picked up pictures of the big buck that I ended up shooting during shotgun, but I'll come back to that when I when I tell that story. But uh, so I go in there, and it was on November seventh. It was literally from walking in there in the dark. I had to push deer away from my stand, and it's like they didn't even want to run out of there. It's like I couldn't get deer off of me that day. Um, all morning from the time I got in there, there was bucks chasing does around all around my stand, uh, on the other Hill. I probably saw three, three or four mature bucks. I can't remember exactly. And one of them actually was upwind and snorted at me. And I think he saw me somehow through this crazy like brush and stuff like that. But anyway, so I'm sitting there and, uh, I'm like, man, this is, you know, it's pretty wild morning. And then about i can't remember if it was like 7 13 or it was like 8 30 something like that uh a really nice 
uh, eight pointer shows up right at the bottom of the hill and starts coming up. And this is on that video too. And he gets right, right to the edge of where he, I was at full draw for a while there. And when he gets right to the edge of where he's about to walk out, where I'd had open shot, he stops right there in the, uh, right there in the brush. And I'd been holding for a while and we, he, I was pretty low and he was kind of right there. So I had, I had some daylight through the brush on his vitals. And, uh, so anyway, I let it fly and didn't realize that, uh, what I thought was behind the shoulder actually was the shoulder, but I didn't know that until I got down to check the arrow. So he ran off and I actually was up there celebrating thinking, hell yeah, you know, I, I, I redeemed myself from the day before, like, hell yeah. Uh, but sure enough, I get down and, uh, there's like three inches of penetration, snapped the broadhead off. The arrow was right there, no blood. Um, uh, and so, and actually I had sat for a while cause I wasn't going to go blood trail them and I saw more deer and you know, this and that. But then when I, once I found that out and I was pretty dejected, pretty low, I got out around probably like three thirty, four o'clock and on the walk back, I actually had a big buck chasing a doe by me in the grass at like 60 yards and I dropped down and they didn't know I was there, but they never did come up close, never did come close enough for a shot. And then I get back to the truck and there's a doe with about 120 some inch deer standing out there, uh, right by the truck in the cornfield, right by my truck. So I, I get down and he actually makes it to about 60 yards as well. And then goes into the timber. And, um, so anyway, that whole day, that whole November 7th was just like nonstop action. And really those two days I'd had a lot of buck action. And so I'm thinking, well, uh, you know, I, and that was probably the lowest I was when I'd had two, two days in a row where I'd screwed it up. So then that next morning I thought, well, I'm going to go back into that hill where they was all chasing. Hopefully something, you know, I didn't figure that that doe would, would still be in there, but I figured something from the day before that had got their butt kicked was going to be cruising back through there. Uh, you know, looking for, looking for a doe, you know, cause obviously with, three, four, five bucks all in there after the same doe, uh, there's a good chance that only, or you know, only one of them got up with her and, and then the other ones are going to be out there looking. So, uh, so anyway, I go set up in there and it was like the action came to a complete halt, man. Like nothing but does, uh, dinks. Like I had, I had does under me. I had uh, a spike under me and then I had like 10 coyotes under me and I actually made a, uh, uh, a move uh, at one point and kind of moved up into the thicker stuff, hoping that I would catch something cruising. And, uh, but that's, oh, that's another thing I kind of want to touch on too is so uh, a lot of the times guys go out there and it's so much work just getting out there and getting your, your uh, tree set up that they don't, if you see something better, you have to make the move, no matter how much work it is, you have to make the move. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times that I've been sitting there and I've seen something happen and then I didn't make the move and something goes right by in that same spot and you're kicking yourself, right? Yeah. So uh, I think that uh, with, with uh, you know, as, as you grow as a hunter and stuff like that and you and you just go through those situations more and more, it really forces you to realize like I, I have to do something now or, or 
I'm going to be in, you know, I'm going to be sitting here wishing I had, right? Anyway, so that whole day went by, and uh, <clears throat> like I had in the video, as I'm driving home, I, like every every single parking lot had had just nothing but, you know, brand new Fords and Chevys in it, right? And, uh, you know, every state and, and a lot of Illinois boys, too. And uh, but right as I'm about to get out of the park, I look over and I see uh, a really nice buck bedded down with a doe because I, like I'd already figured that lockdown had hit from from everything halting the way it had. But then it just kind of confirmed like, yeah, all right, the big boys got them, you know, they're sitting down. So uh, now I'm going to go right into the heart of the bedding. And I, I mean, I was sitting all day anyway, but now. When I know they're on lockdown, that's when my 10 to 2, um, you know, hunting really, at least in my mind, I'm like, I'm not going to miss the middle of the day in, in bedding, right? So I go into a spot where actually it's where I had uh, shot that 120 a couple years ago, but I shot him in October. So it, it wasn't on like a cruising um, setup or anything like that. He was actually bedded in there and I had caught him uh leaving his bed and he was uh kind of sparring with another buck and i grunted him up to me and i shot him so but in previous years i had seen a lot of chasing and seeking in there too so just in my mind if it hadn't been touched it was it was going to be a good spot and uh so anywhere anyway i sneak in there it was dead calm you know you could hear a mouse fart for 200 yards and uh i, I get set up in there and I had a doe snort at, or well, something. I, I did a calling sequence early with uh, I, what I'll do for calling too. Uh, when it comes to um, what do you call it? Uh, when when I'm calling during the rut, I used to do a lot more rattling than what I do now. And now I've kind of just went to at least on public for sure. I'll do some tending grunts and maybe some bleats because while I've had rattling work out a lot, I've also had it spook a lot more too. Um, so at least for me, especially when I'm on an all day sit and I'm trying to stay in that mentality of, you know, something could happen anytime. Uh, I've kind of gotten away from banging the horns together. So, uh, I mean, take from that what you will. I know that rattling works. I, I've seen it work even on public. I just, in years past, have kind of gotten away from it just because I think positive mindset is key on all day sits. It's hard enough sitting there on, you know, a little platform for, for 10 and 12 hours without, without thinking that you spooked all the deer out of there four hours ago, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, anyway, I threw a polling sequence out and something showed up just behind me and blew out of there. And so I was like, well, you know, we're starting the day, you know, just like the rest of the week's been going. And, uh, wasn't, it was around 8 or 8.30, a couple does way down at the bottom of the hill was moving. And then uh, uh, a little bit later, around 11, a doe moved right underneath me the way I thought that they were going to be coming from behind me right underneath me. And I was like, well, okay, that's cool. And then about a half hour later, I looked way up on the hill, up on top of the hill, and there was a I, – I knew it was a buck, and it looked like he was cruising, but I just couldn't tell how big. So – I'm sitting there and it's like 50 degrees and, you know, I got my coat just hanging there on the thing. I'm like, well, you know, just thinking about the week and stuff like that. And, uh, 
all of a sudden I look up and, uh, the deer, the, the deer that I end up shooting was coming in right through the middle of, of, uh, of the hill, just like I was hoping he would, uh, checking for does. So he come through and I was worried because I couldn't turn and he was, he was on the high side of the hill. So, you know, we was somewhat, he could see me if I would have moved and he gets to where I was worried he was going to hit my ground scent. You know, it'd been, it was 1230. So it, it had been, uh, what, like seven hours, I think, uh, since I'd walked through there, but I, I knew that if he hit it, there's a good chance he was going to booger out of there. So I was ready. I was ready to draw as soon as he did anything, you know, as soon as I saw him do anything out of the ordinary, I was going to draw and, and let one fly. And that's what happened is he, he hit it and stopped on a dime and started looking around. And then all of a sudden he went to run the other way and stopped. And I was already at full draw and, uh, the rest is history. He, he ran to the bottom of the hill and crashed and, uh, I heard him. And of course I'm, I'm losing my mind up there in the tree. And, uh, because, you know, all the emotions that run through your mind after you miss a bunch and you, you know, you've went through the highs and lows and the roller coaster and, uh, man, you just kind of, you, you lose it, you know? And, uh, it was actually funny. I called my wife and kid and they were, uh, they were at the zoo with her friend. And, uh, of course I sounded crazy. I had adrenaline going through the roof and, <laughs> and I was like, honey, you know, I was like, put, put my daughter on the phone. And uh, I was like, Hey, I love you, honey. And I, I love you guys. And they're like, daddy, I see a rhinoceros. <laughs> <laughs> And, and then my wife's like, did you get, did you get in a car wreck or something? Cause you know, I sounded all, all crazy, you know? And, uh, I was like, never mind. I was like, I love you guys. I said, I got to call somebody that understands. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I, I lit the phone lines up, but then at one point I had to get down because, uh, I just couldn't sit up there anymore. And, and so I get down and, uh, I go down there and there he was laying in this spot where I'd actually ran cams for the last couple years. And so most of the bucks that I'd caught going through there, I caught in that spot and, um, I'd actually use, usually hunt that opening right where he died. So the fact that, uh, I had stood in that spot and sat there for, for a lot, a long time. And then that deer died right in that spot was, was kind of nuts, man. Just how it all kind of culminated and, and, and ended right there. And so, uh, I'm on, you know, you know, if, if 10 is happy, I'm on 20. You know what I mean? At that point I was, I was super stoked. Didn't think my season could get any better. Um, you know, so I, I didn't even, I didn't even really get to hunt after that, but, uh, up until about the 19th. But, um, the crazy part is, is obviously not only was that deer, he died in the middle of nowhere at the bottom of a hill. So had to call in all the troops and, and to get him out of there and stuff like that. But, uh, when I finally got to take him to the taxidermist, we had this crazy blizzard come through that Monday and, uh, it took me like four hours to get to Jacksonville and back from here, which is only like a half hour trip there. It's a half hour there, half hour back. But, uh, it just felt like, um, that whole week fought me every step of the way. Even getting him to the taxidermist was kind of like life or death. So, um, uh, anyway, I didn't, uh, I didn't really get to make it out again until the 19th. And, uh, 
I figured, well, since I, since I uh, hadn't been in that spot for a while where I had shot that one in the shoulder, uh, you know, the two, the one the year before and the one during my, my rep, my rep vacation week, I thought, well, I'll go in there and, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to move in on this spot where, uh, that 10 pointer that I was, that I ended up shooting during shotgun had been showing up on camera. So the story of the buck that, uh, I've come to call King of the Hill. I, I don't really tend to name deer. Uh, we'll jokingly do it on, uh, uh, my cousin's little 40 acre piece. Um, you know, like we'll call him like Carl or Dave or something just as a joke, but, uh, <laughs> we're not, I'm not really big into naming deer, but like after, uh, after kind of the story comes together and especially like making videos and stuff like that, it, it helps to have like a, a title or a name. So like I called the, the title of that video was King of the Hill. Uh, but up until that point, I, I didn't name the deer. I just, uh, I just kind of knew him as this really nice eight pointer from the year before with really white tines. And, uh, the next year, this year he had, uh, he had blown up into a really nice 10 and, uh, super even super just, you know, nothing, nothing that was like jaw dropping, just a really nice, pretty symmetrical, um, 10. And, uh, so the previous year I actually, had uh when i had shot that deer in the shoulder uh what led up to that was i actually had so it's a pretty crazy story so the bedding area that i shot my 10 pointer in uh with the bow that i just got done telling you guys about uh, i was hunting that last year during my rutcation in the beginning and it was warm and i wasn't seeing any movement my trail cameras weren't picking up anything when I went in there and was hunting them. So midway through the week of my hunting, my rut vacation last year, I decided that I was going to utilize, there was a, like the third day in between, like my five days off was going to be super windy and the cold front was coming in and it was going to be super cold the next couple of days. So I thought, well, I need to take this time to go do some scouting and to get on and to get on a deer. Or, you know, to get on some deer. I said, I need to go find these does. I said, because right now I'm not even on does. So I go over there and all I did was took my bow with me and started uh, started walking around. Just kind of doing, just I, I was kind of still hunting, looking for does, trying to creep up on bedding and see. I didn't even care if I bumped them out of there. I just wanted to find does. I wanted to find a large concentration of does and uh and then I felt like I was going to be in the money when that cold front hit. So, um, I also was obviously looking for hunter pressure and stuff like that. So one of the things I come across is this big body deer laying there with his head cut off down in this Creek. Right. And I got pictures of that. I, I took pictures of him and, uh, and of course I was like, Oh, well, you know, somebody's obviously hunting in here. Cause this was, obviously at least a, a three or four year old plus um, buck with his head cut off. Right. But I'm like, I'm looking at him and I guessed him at a week old at how long he'd been sitting there. Uh, the coyotes really hadn't touched much, hardly at all, but he was, he was bloated up and I, I just kind of guessed him at about a week he'd been laying there. So, well, actually here, here's the weird part of that. So the head was still on, they had cut the horns off. Okay. And, 
so I head deeper back into this piece and then I come across this young, uh, probably one and a half, I would think maybe two and a half year old, eight point laying there dead. And he was only like a day old and he had a pretty good shot on him. So I don't know if somebody just shot him and couldn't find him or shot him and left him. And I'm like, man, somebody's Rambo's in here just knocking deer out of the, you know, just plugging them, you know? So, but not right where I found him. I pushed up this valley a little bit where all these valleys came together. And, uh, I laid down cause there were some does that came out and I, and, and then on this other hillside, there's, there's some other does. So I'm like, so there's bucks in here. I said, I've seen nothing but does in here and they didn't seem pressured. They were just, they were just walking around out there. I was like, I was like, all right, this is where I'm setting up tomorrow morning. So I move in the next morning in my climber because there were some climbing trees right where that all came together. And, uh, so I get set up and right at like first light, like 130 inch buck comes walking through about 40 yards away, but through this kind of thick cover that goes through this valley right in the middle of it. And, uh, so I thought, well, shit, I got to get down. I got to move over there. If, if that's where the deer movement's happening, if that's where the bucks are cruising through, that's where I got to be. So I move over, uh, make the move immediately, go over, and I'm halfway, or actually I'm about set up up the tree. My bow's still on the ground, and about 20-plus turkeys fly all up around me in the trees. I'm like, what in the hell? And uh, I look, and a family of like three or four bobcats come walking right past me. Mm. I was like, well, that's pretty cool. So, uh, then eventually I have to move and grab my stuff and the turkeys kind of bust out of there. But then like an hour later, a bunch of turkeys do the same thing, just a little ways over on the other hill and a big Tom Bobcat comes walking through then. So I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. You know? But anyway, that morning later, a little bit later, I saw a buck up the valley, even going up into some thick stuff where the other bucket came out of. And I had actually scouted that area and put a camera up in that bedding um, that summer, but I had never checked it. So I thought, all right, well, uh, next morning, that's where I'm going to be. And actually, I put my buddy where I was, where where the bobcats and where the buck was. I put him right there on that buck cruising movement. And then I went up into that bedding, and my buddy actually got a shot at a buck and then I was sitting there and I heard it snort. He missed the buck and I had some does come by and then sure enough, a buck came right behind him. I go to take a shot and I hit a limb and then the buck ran up off the, you know, obviously ran off. Well then a little bit later at like 10 27, a cruising buck came just underneath me and that's the one that I ended up shooting in the shoulder. So, uh, I knew I, and then that was when I checked the camera and was the first time that I saw the 10 pointer. Okay. So I knew he was on there. I knew he was in there. And then I, uh, the next day I was up in there and a buck that I thought was him that I also had on camera when I got him, which was, is chronicled in that video, a smaller eight comes in at 20 yards and he makes a scrape. And I was kind of back and forth on shooting him, but he, he, he was like 
one or two steps away from being in my opening and he never did make it in there but uh, i wasn't quite sure if i was going to shoot him because i was pretty far back in there so um anyway i knew it was a good spot and I, I picked up that deer on camera and then i hunted it again in shotgun and never did see him but uh so fast forward to this year during spring turkey and i go in there and i was like i, I was i was wanting to, to turkey hunt in there obviously from the turkey tur all the turkeys i'd seen in there um, with the bobcats and stuff so i was like well this would be a good spot to go in and try and pop a tom you know and uh i go up into that bedding area after the morning fly down once i knew that it was you know it was going to be calm for a little bit i was like you know what i'm going to go up in there maybe look for some mushrooms look for a shed <clears throat> i get right up in there where the camera had gotten all the pictures of him in uh, october and, and november and his shed is laying right there in front of where the camera got all his pictures and uh, it was kind of weird. I was like, man, this is weird. Cause it's not like, you know, it, it's not where he, it's not like a bedding spot. It's just kind of a, a pass through area. So it was just kind of, kind of cool that he dropped it in that exact spot where I had my cam. Yeah. That is pretty sweet. Yeah. 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 And what's weird is as I grabbed that antler, I remember sitting there thinking I'm going to kill this deer. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Like, you know, I, I will shoot this deer. And, uh, a half hour later, I shoot my biggest turkey in like 15 years and uh, my first public land gobbler. I'd shot some jakes and I, I'd been trying to get a public land gobbler for year, like five or six years. It had become almost comical, comical because <clears throat> I killed a lot of uh, toms on private, but every time I would pull uh, public, like they would, they would always just skirt me and this and that would happen. And anyway, uh, so I'm sitting there with that antler and that, that turkey, and, and in my mind, uh, there's no way I'm not killing this deer. So uh, fast forward, obviously, because I found the shed and because I had the, the picks, of course I'm going to run cams in there again, you know. So I, uh, I hang my cam uh, mid-summer, mid uh, mid to late summer. Usually I like to be in there like a month or – at least a month to, to two months before season if I'm going to go into a bedding area and hang a cam. And I hang it up high and I angle it down. Like, you know, that's the new fad nowadays. Uh, so that's nothing new. It's just it, – it's it's really good practice, I think, for bedding areas simply because them big bucks, man, if you ever catch them on camera, they're always looking right at your camera when it's on – when it's at eye level, you know. And uh, for whatever reason, I just feel like they – they know they're there and they, they kind of skirt that area. So, uh, so fast forward to this year and I go in there, uh, during my rut vacation and check my cams and, oh, actually I take that back. I had been in there one time during October, during a cold front when I knew there was going to be rain, uh, later that day. And I checked it and I found out that he was in there. And that was a big part of the reason why I went in there during my rut vacation again. Obviously, I'd had shots the previous year, so I was going to hunt that bedding area anyway. But uh, I really wanted to run into that deer. So, didn't see him during the rut vacation, but fast forward to November the 19th. I go in there after him, and I have that big 180 come in there. And uh, I'd also had a nice eight-pointer uh, that morning at 20 yards I could have shot. Uh, but where he came by and where a doe came by, I decided I needed to 
I needed to make a move. So at 10 o'clock, I got down, moved up the ridge, took me about an hour. I was set up by 11, and uh, luckily I did. It had been windy throughout the middle of the day, but I knew that wind was going to die down about 3 o'clock. So I was really holding out for that 3 o'clock wind died down. And about 2.40, it died down. I threw out a, uh, a grunting, uh, tending grunt and a bleep. And kind of sat down. I've been sitting for like 10 hours at that point. And uh, I look up and I see a giant at 30 yards. Like, you know, one of those things you can't even describe, like how big they are. And uh, so he comes in and it, it, it went from being crazy windy to absolutely silent. You know, could hear a pin drop. And I, I grabbed my bow when he went behind a tree and turned and he stopped on a dime. So I don't know if he heard me. I don't know if he hit downwind of me or I don't know if he caught some kind of movement, but he didn't act. He didn't look right up at me. He just stopped. And so I came to full draw, uh, waiting for him to step out from behind this tree. And all he did was step his neck out towards me. So I'm sitting there at full draw for like a minute, uh, maybe a minute and a half, but he just decided either he didn't see what was in there making the noise or he just didn't like something and he wasn't acting real spooky. He just turned around to walk away the other way. <clears throat> I saw an opening and had been holding full draw for a while. And when I saw that opening, I put it on his vitals, let it fly, hits a branch and uh, deflects. He just bounds away. doesn't snort, doesn't act real spooky. So I don't know if he thought a branch broke or what, but he definitely wasn't coming back around to, to, to find out. So I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm wondering how in the hell I could go from shooting my biggest deer on public after all that bad juju that was going on all week. And I was super, super excited. Now all of a sudden I'm sitting there in a tree exhausted <laughs> and feeling just super, super down on myself, you know, just missed the biggest deer I've ever even thought of seeing it at 20 yards on public. And, uh, you know, I, I was in there chasing like what I thought was 150 inch deer and 180 inch deer shows up. And, uh, I was just sitting there like, had that sick feeling you know that that sick feeling in my stomach again like how in the hell do you mess this up rogers and uh i, I was just like banging my head against the wall like how do you go from uh feeling like you did it to screwing it up again you know so anyway i uh <clears throat> i was like well shotgun shotguns the next day i can get out which was the 22nd and uh i really didn't i felt like since i never saw that buck on camera uh, and never, you know, hadn't heard of anybody seeing anything like that or anything, you know, that was the first time I'd ever seen or heard of that buck. So to me, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, he's just, you know, it's the 19th. He's looking, he's just randomly running around looking for does. And I really didn't feel like there was a good chance of me seeing him again. But when you see a 180 inch deer at 20 yards, you're not going to not go back in there. Right. Yeah, no, you're going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, worst. Well, and then in my head, I'm laughing, thinking, <clears throat> now I'm going to shoot my target buck and he's going to feel like a consolation prize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, But not that I look at that deer as a consolation prize. I, I feel blessed how my season ended up. Just saying, like, I was like, watch, it's going to be comical. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to shoot my deer. And now I'm going to be thinking about that 180. Uh, so anyway, I'm heading there. I get up in there. And instead of 
instead of sitting the tree that I that I shot at the 180 in, there I decided that I was going to move about 10 to 15 yards up the ridge even more because I could see over into that grass field where I ended up shooting him and down into the woods. So, uh, uh, you know, just a tip or a lesson for anybody listening. Don't ever get married to one tree because I think that routine is probably the biggest killer of success in the deer woods. Um, just because I saw a 180 inch deer and had a shot at him, does not mean that I have to go sit that exact same tree the next time, right? So if if you could take one thing away, do not fall into a routine. That will kill you. And and if you're chasing big bucks on public land. Um uh, so anyway, I go in there, I get set up, and uh just I mean it never happens this way, but right at first light I look over, giant white rack right there. And at first I thought he was going to walk right towards me through the grass and I was going to let him come. But then, uh, when he started turning and heading, like he was heading out the side of it and I, and I knew I had a short window to happen, make it happen. I, I put the crosshairs on him. I pulled the trigger and, uh, I really didn't, I, you know, I gave it my best effort, but I had no idea if I hit that deer or not because the second after I shot him, he ran out of view and I'm sitting up in there not knowing what what I should do, you know. Uh, obviously, I know I got to go down and look for blood after I shoot at an animal. But it's the perfect morning. It's a north wind. It's, uh, you know, it's gray. It's cold. It's opening morning. It's Friday. I'm like, shit, man, I don't want to get down right now in the middle of prime time if I didn't kill this deer. But obviously, I had to. So... <clears throat> I go still hunting through the woods and right is where I get where I think he ran out. There's a younger buck standing right there and he kind of jumps away. And uh, I was like, well, that's kind of weird, you know? So then I get up to where that younger buck was and some more deer bound away on the hill over and I'm looking around and I'm getting real down because I thought he ran straight out of the side of the, of the field. And I'm like, shit, man, I didn't hit that deer. I don't see any blood. And then all of a sudden I look up and I see, I'm like, man, that's a log, you know? And, uh, I'm like, that's not a log, that's a belly. And uh, the rest is history. You know, I get up on him and and uh, was just overcome with joy that I, had, that I had got my buck. And then I run into, how am I going to get this deer out of here? Everybody's working or hunting. Uh, so I put a thing out there on uh, the Facebook group. And this, this young gentleman from Tennessee, who was actually hunting a lease with his dad, and this 15-year-old kid uh, named Tanner Dotson answered the call, and uh, I said, dude, I'll pay you 100 bucks if you help me quarter this deer up and get him the hell out of here. So that's what happened. <laughs> that's pretty badass. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Because other than that, that deer would still be laying out there in all his glory. <laughs> but just because I – by the time I got back with my half of the quarter, and there's no way I was in any kind of shape to get back up in there. And by the way, we didn't get him out until dark that night. I shot him at like 644 that morning. And by the time I actually rallied somebody and got out there and got him quartered up and out of there, it was dark. So, Yeah. Epic story, though. Epic yeah. memories for sure. Yep. So, so you're talking about all where you know, you're filming all this. So where can the listeners find all this film? So... Um, 
I, I just kind of started for fun filming and uh a lot of it is uh when i <clears throat> like the shots you'll see you'll be like i use a lid cam because i don't really like uh I, i've never been really good at the self-filming with the camera arm mm. and i've also found that with the with, if i mentally if i tell them if i gotta pack the camera arm and the camera and everything and i end up not even taking it so um i've got i use the lid cam it's a really good hd point of view cam but it does have its limitations like any point of view cam when you get into it doesn't zoom and if you get into anything where you have some really thick brush or grass it can be a little bit harder to see but um it does the job for the close-up you know shots in, in the woods so um but I started a thing called Good Sit Productions, and uh, you can find it on YouTube. Um, you can go to Facebook, check it out. Uh, I try to keep it. I try to keep posting videos pretty regular. I'm going to transition from hunting videos into um, like uh, mobile stand kind of gear, how tos and stuff. Uh, like any pu public land mobile guy, I'm a gear nut, so um, I like watching other guys' videos on what they what they uh, are running and little things that you can do to tweak um, the equipment. Cause honestly more, probably more than hunting anymore. I like, I like making my, my setup as efficient as possible. I, I spend uh, many, many hours in the off season sitting there uh, playing with my gear, just uh, trial and error, trying to figure stuff out, what works, what doesn't. And then uh, of course hunting season gets there and, you throw about 90% of it out the window and go back to what has always worked. But, um, again, good sit, good sit productions. You can find it on Facebook or YouTube. Nice. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that have check it out. Um, we got to watch a couple of your videos. Pretty cool. Um, that whisker biscuit video is something to think <laughs> about. I still shoot a whisker biscuit. I'm thinking about upgrading next year, but it's just so consistently what I've used and I'm real big on not changing what works for me you know and i mean and uh i'm not really a gear nut i wouldn't say i just get what works what kills and i go with there but um hey man well, let me tell you, let me tell you let me expand on that though so i switched to a drop away a qad drop away uh actually it was uh it was a qad style but it was uh, a fuse fuse had just put their brand on the qad drop away and uh it was like 130 dollar rest and so i switched i finally switched right and uh the very first time i went out in the woods with it it was more in an urban setting uh with deer that really weren't anywhere near as pressured as like the public that i, I usually chase and some does came over the hill at 70 yards i go to grab my bow and my thumb just barely smacks the thing that releases the release and i even had quiet fleece on my shelf my bow shelf and the thing just smacks down and makes a little bit of a tap, just enough for them does to look up, look over, and not not boogie out of there, but just decide instead of heading towards me, they was going to head the other way. And I was like, you know what? I've never, ever had the whisker biscuit scare away a single deer, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's pretty, it's pretty stellar. It's pretty yeah, ninja. And, and, and so I was like, you got to be freaking kidding me. And so... Instantly went back up to the bow shop, said, take this POS off of my bow, put the old whisker biscuit back on, and, uh, <laughs> let's get back to it. So, yeah, you can't, it's hard to, it's hard to break what works, man. That's what I always say, man. If something works, it's hard to break the, break the gear apart and every year try to try something new. But 
Hey, man, we appreciate you coming on and telling uh, your public land story this this year. It's pretty epic, man. Uh, I hope for many more for you. I know you're putting in the work and time and stand to get it done. So uh, I'm sure you'll get some of uh, some of our listeners to watch your videos. Like I said, we've enjoyed a couple of them, and uh, we uh, we're gonna keep trying to get out there on some public land ourselves. We're not bucked bucked out like you are. So <laughs> <laughs> well. I keep telling myself I'm going to get out there and shoot a doe, and uh, uh, it's a beautiful Sunday. I should be out there, but instead I'm painting my daughter's room because uh, that's what makes Mama happy. And If you uh, if you want to get somebody to, to help out during rutcation, you got to do what they say the rest of the year, right? That's yeah. right, man. Well, we won't hold you up anymore. We appreciate you spending some time with us, and uh, have a happy, happy, happy Christmas, or Merry Christmas, and happy holiday. How about murdered that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Yeah. Hey, buddy. It was good talking to you guys. Have a good one. Man, I really enjoyed this episode. Great tactics. Um, got us thinking a little bit about some stuff that we need to change up. We were just talking. We need to do the move, man. We were thinking yeah. a couple times this year where when you got all the camera guy gear in there, you got the camera guy with you, two stands. Are you going to make that move? But we were just thinking, like, what were we waiting for them to come back to? You know what I mean? But we still seen deer movement. We still seen bucks. It wasn't yeah. the right bucks. But if we would have been another 150 yards – you never know. Would, we would we've been there. So you all, it's always that thing like, am I going to bump these deer out if I move? And that's always the question you have. But when you have a limited amount of days, I feel like you just got to do it. So that's something I really took away from this episode. Um, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope, like I said, um, it's still season, man. There's still time. I know a lot of people are like, just like you said, second shotgun, it's over. Uh, I still got bucks daylighting on cam. I just can't kill them. So that, <laughs> there is that. Um, I've been hunting fairly decently hard on the weekends. When you go back to work, man, it's hard to do when it gets dark at 445 uh, and you get off at four. <laughs> you ain't yeah, got, you right? ain't got nothing. <laughs> so, but, um, special shout out to Exodus trail cams, Morel targets. Um, try to get out there, leave a legacy and white till legacy's out. <laughs>